Welcome back to the You Never Know podcast, where uh, you never know who we're going to have on or what we're going to talk about. Today's guest, um, she is gaining uh, thousands of followers by the day on TikTok. She's Idaho's number one uh, crime storyteller. She has over 140,000 followers on TikTok, over 2 million likes. And uh, Andy with an I, how are we doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited. The leader of the Idaho Crime Squad, <laughs> right? Yeah, Idaho Crime Squad. Awesome. I keep getting, I'm like, it's a true crime squad. I is know. It, I, like, well, I want to say Crime Junkies because that's that one podcast, right? Is Crime Junkies? Or is yeah. that a genre? Yeah. It's a, No, it's a podcast. That's what I thought. Right? Yeah, it's a podcast, but no, we are not uh, officiated with or associated with them. Um, it's just the Idaho Crime Squad. Hashtag Idaho Love Crime it. Squad. And the little ghost logo too. It's awesome. Yeah, on yeah. We had to hire a creator for that one, so that was fun. That is fun. Nice. Um, so before we kind of jump into like your, your TikTok and all your, you know, your true crime knowledge, why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about you, like your background and what got you into true crime and, you know, TikTok and stuff? Sure. Yeah. So I'm an Idaho native. Um, I was born in Boise, Idaho, St. Luke's downtown represent. Um, and I went to high school in, you know, the Boise kind of area. Not really going to reveal where I'm living now just because, you know, safety reasons. But um I've always been very, very connected with Boise and Meridian, Nampa, kind of Treasure Valley, and just Idaho as a whole. Um, I've been very involved in a lot of, like, philanthropic kind of things, so it's really good to get to know the community and stuff like that. Um, As far as what got me into true crime, I mean, ever since I was growing up, you know, it was watching either Dateline with my mom or whatever. Um, But what really, really drove it home for me, what got me passionate about it was... I have a cousin who was murdered. Um, I was not alive at the time that uh, she was murdered, but she was murdered in Santa Cruz, California, and she was very close with my mother. Um, The family doesn't talk about it super often um, just because I'm I'm sure it's traumatic for them and and the the case is still unsolved. Um, But my mom did talk about it a lot. She would bring it up with me quite frequently, and, you know, in recent years we've talked about it more and more, and I have done my my due diligence to try to either get information from the Santa Cruz Police Department or, or do what I could to just jump in. But what I know about the case is my cousin was found dead in um, a bathtub in her apartment. She didn't come and pick up her kids from daycare. Um, And so her brother found her and it was ruled a suicide. Her throat was slit. Um, What doesn't make sense and why I refuse to believe it was a suicide is one, there's no note, um, which doesn't always mean it wasn't a suicide, but two, she had never voiced being suicidal. She was very happy with her life. um, And, you know, she was happy being a single mom. Um, But the weirdest thing is as you know, most people know, or as you guys might know, when, when you die, um, your bowels evacuate. You evacuate your bowels. It's just one of the grosser parts of death. Right. Yeah. Um, her feces were found in her bedroom, and her body was found in the bathtub, which is, you know... Doesn't add up. 20 yeah. or 30 feet away from where her bowels were evacuated. The police didn't go into too much detail about this. Um, they just kind of stated like, well, it's possible like her, you know, she slit her own throat in the in the room and then she walked to the bathroom. But, but from the research I've done and based on coroner reports, it doesn't happen until you are dead. 
So mm-hmm. someone dragged her body from the room to the bathtub and, and left her there. Um, my best guess on what probably happened was, and all I, all I can really hope for is what happened, is there was another woman in Santa Cruz with the same name as her who, from the information I've gathered, was heavily involved with the cartel. Um, and so what I probably think happened is there was a number put on her head and they got the wrong girl. And that's really what started my my interest into true crime. Um, just investigating that and I, I just like had this epiphany moment where I was finding out all these things that my family didn't even know of, wow, I'm one, good at this and two, I enjoy doing this. And I really feel like a lot of these cases have a right to be talked about. So yeah, that, that's crazy. Though. That is insane. That was a, that was a hot start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> jumping right into it. Yeah. But so like you did your own like investigation and stuff and you personally like, reached out to the Santa Cruz police department. And oh, 100%. Like, yeah, what the fuck is this? Yeah. I mean, I had a right to, I had to file several things cause I had a right to know. It's basically like the so, American right to know act. So yeah. How, how does that work? How can can I just call like a police department on some case and be like, Hey, can I get information on this? Or like, so yes, that's where I started. Um, and, you know, they gave me the runaround of we don't have those cases anymore. We, you know, we don't have the means to produce that information to you. Which is, is that true? In some cases, I'm sure it is, but probably 90% of the time, it's just the police department not wanting to do their own work. So I feel like you wouldn't just throw out a murder and case. you yeah. have to understand that people who are coming around asking for information on cases from 30, 40, 50 years ago don't have the intention of making the police department look good. Right. If you oh, get what yeah. I'm saying, yeah. like I'm out here trying to make that police department look really fucking stupid. So and make it look like they did an inadequate job of investigating my cousin's murder. Yeah, so, I mean you're just trying to get the the truth out there and like get justice for for your cousin. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and for the fan, like for my family, like they don't even talk about it. And it's yeah. like if if I could just find answers and and you know, fuck my family, my mom. You know, like it, just for my mother, she, that haunts her. Like she really, she was just a teenager and she was close to her. So it's very just like this deep burning desire to solve this case. And so when I, you know, contacted the Santa Cruz Police Department and they just gave me the runaround, I threatened them and said, I'm going to file this act. And next thing I know, you know, I got a, a manila envelope in my mail with all the information. So that's how, how much information, like, like what? How how big of an envelope are we talking? It was about? probably three hundred and fifty pages of just wow. Wow. you know police reports, stuff like that, invested like or lack thereof of of stuff that they did, people they talked to, descriptions of the crime scene, a couple of photos from the crime scene, you know those kind of things. And I will tell you, they the, the photos of the crime scene are minuscule compared to what they probably should have photographed. They didn't photograph the feces they found in her room, you know they didn't really photograph her wounds. They didn't. They they didn't even lift print fingerprints from the scene. So really, wow. well, how long ago was that? It was 1974. Did they even have like fingerprint? Oh um, yeah, they, they could dust. They okay. could dust and pull. Yeah, for sure. But and it's possible that they did, but either it got destroyed or you know you don't know. So yeah, that is nuts. So was there at least like a, a deep investigation in that in that case, or was it kind of like a couple of days later they just wrote it a suicide it they investigated it for the first few days and then once the coroner ruled it as a suicide it was closed so okay was there like a, so there were no suspects or any leads nothing like that? no suspects all? no leads they basically interviewed the family interviewed her ex-boyfriends you know because that's where you always start is is an yeah. ex-boyfriend or a partner um and then yeah once it was ruled a suicide it just didn't get further looked into i mean 
<laughs> police work in the 70s was really low par of what it should have been, I guess, um, just because it was very corrupt, especially in like California where you're, you're anywhere close to Mexico and if anything's intertwined with the cartel, it's going to get very convoluted and very polluted during their investigation because you never know who paid who to not say something. So so you yeah. think like the police were maybe like tipped off or paid off to not kind of dig deeper into it? I hope not, but yes, that's what I think. Wow. Because I think that, I, like, if I had to draw my own conclusion, I think the wrong girl was murdered, and I think it was a cover-up. I mean, that's a pretty good assumption. From, like, and you got all that, is that just based on the packet you received, or did you do a little more of external digging, too? Based on the police report and then any crumb of information that I could squeeze out of my family. Yeah, like, how, how did you find out there was another girl with the same name who lived in the same city? Oh, I found her. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Um, so I actually did, like, a... Like a, what do you call it? Like I, I talked to a PI. I didn't hire the PI, but I did talk to the PI. And so we had like a little like briefing where he kind of told me like just the first couple things he found, but he wasn't planning on going any further unless I wrote him a check. And he did tell me that someone in, in the area had the same name and, and he basically gave me what I needed to know. So. Yeah. Wow. That's uh that's insane. That yeah. is crazy. Um, So, you know, you grow up, you're watching true crime, you're already kind of hooked and and that life, and then this happens, and then you spend, how long did you spend investigating that? Not super long. Okay. Honestly, I, I mean, I think about it every day, and, like, mm -hmm. anytime I, like, I gave, you know, the police department my number, and on the off chance that they get some sort of tip, but it, it's something that, you know, once I got my answers, I got my answers, and I knew unless I had enough money or enough of a platform to get this done, I wasn't going to get it done any further. And so I, I fully plan to find out who killed her, but I know it's probably not going to be for a while. Dude, uh, what is your, what does your family think of you like digging further into it? Are they, oh, they don't know. Oh, they have no really? idea. Yeah. They do don't they know. know you do the true crime stuff. Yeah. Um, so my mom, well, my mom knows because, um, she's gotten, you know, some messages um, or whatever. That's why I'm no longer linked to my family on like social media or anything like that. Um, my sister knows because she's actually like my biggest supporter. She was the one who influenced me to do this. And she's, she's constantly investigating cases for me. Like, so she's arguably part of the team. Um, and then, you know, the other part of it is just me warning the rest of my family of like, Hey, like, just so you guys know, I'm getting death threats. Um, lay low for a while you know, don't tag me in anything, anything like that. So they do know what I do. They've all seen the videos. They fully support me. Um, but my family wasn't heavily involved in my cousin's case as much as I was. Um, just because my mom and I had like a very special relationship where she confided in me a lot. I was the youngest. It was, you know, one of the only girls, one of two girls. And we just had a different, I think, kind of relationship. And I think she started coming to terms with it when I was young. And that's when she started opening up about it. And I was there to listen. So, yeah. Wow. So did you get death threats for looking into that case of, of your cousin or is no. it from TikTok? No, no, no. All my death threats are going to be from either TikTok or Twitter. Yeah. Wow. Do you have a big like following on Twitter too? Mm -hmm. Well, not huge. I, you know, probably about 5,000. Oh, wow. Dang. Um, so how do you go from kind of just investigating like a, a case that like hits home, that's a cold case that, you know, is kind of suspicious and stuff like that to, you know, turning your passion for this into like social media and TikTok and stuff like that. So 
if there's one thing I've learned about myself, it's that I can draw an audience. Um, it's just something I'm good at. I have never wanted to be famous per se or anything like that. But one thing I'm good at is bringing attention to things and, and being able to gain views. Um, so it just kind of made sense to me. I mean, it was just like one thing went into hand with one thing. My strengths built, grabbed hands with my passion and it just flourished. So, you know, I had a TikTok prior to the true crime thing and my, I did a true crime episode where it was just very brief, very casual. This was a couple of years ago about the Chop Chop House in Boise, which I plan to, it, the video is gone now, but I plan to cover it again in a more professional setting. Um, but that video got like over 4 million views. And I knew then that I had something, that that was something that was going to be big, but I didn't pursue it right away just because I wasn't in a place where I felt like I was ready to do that. I, I didn't want to be like, recognized or gain any notoriety from any sort of true crime or anything like that. I didn't want to associate with it. And now that I'm a little older, a little more settled in my life, I feel like I can create a platform where true crime makes sense for me to do. Did you ever think about doing it under like a, a ghost name? Yes. I considered almost, <laughs> this is so stupid. I considered going almost like like anonymous style with yeah. like a mask and everything and like <laughs> a voice changer. And actually before I started true crime, I considered doing like a Boise T kind of thing on TikTok okay. where I just like, like told like secrets. Like a TMZ of like Boise. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. But at the end of the day, I'm really trying not to get sued. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, with an IP address, it's pretty easy for them to, to bust you. Yeah. So um, I didn't want to be, become, you know, a KTVB article. So I just, you know, went with true crime instead. <laughs> so was your plan with like the TMZ of Boise to like, you just hear tea about random people like you don't even know and be like, all right, TikTok, guess what? You would be shocked by what people tell me in bars. Oh, it's just, You yeah. would be shocked by what I know about some powerful <laughs> people here. It's oh, crazy. so like you you do it for like big oh, names, not yeah. just like oh, yeah. random people. No, no, like no, exposing no. Like, like you know, yeah. Okay. Club owners sense. and politicians. The Larry and Craig's of the world and yeah, yeah no, yeah. for sure, for sure. I I know a lot. People would yeah. be surprised. I mean, I'm kind of out of it now because I'm you know I'm like an old maid now and I stay home and don't really <laughs> do a whole lot. But in my heyday, when I was really out and about, I I gathered a lot of information on people. But I don't know if any of it's verifiable Are or you? true. Yeah, I mean, were you kind of like seeking it though? Or was were you one of those people where people kind of just told you everything? Yeah, I'm just one of those people that I go into a bar and like I, to have a drink with somebody and they just spill the tea. It's crazy. Like, is this a random person or is this like, like, because I can see like you go into like a bar right downtown Boise and, you know, um, people just coming up to you like, oh, hey, you know, how you been? Long time no see. Oh, guess what I know. Or are you it's, like meeting up with friends? It's more like I'm really, really good at getting invited to private parties. Okay. So, you know, like I said, like bar owners, politicians' houses, those kind of things. If you can name them, I probably partied at their house. I said, I'm really? just thinking of, I'm going to bleep that, but. I'm yeah. To tell you, you, yeah, you're on the right track there. But go ahead and bleep that for, for yeah. the sake of, sake of my identity. That's pretty funny. So did you always kind of have like an, an act for like storytelling and presenting and stuff? Because just watching your videos, like you're a really good speaker and like you're a really good storyteller and you like, yeah. you feel like you're there when you're, you know, you're, even it's. And that know. goes into what you're saying is like you almost like you didn't know what to do to grab those views, but you had almost like a natural like gravitation towards it. Is right. that is that what you think goes like 
is that gravitation is the storytelling aspect yes um also something about my voice i know i sound like jennifer lawrence trust me i get told yes. every other <laughs> I, comment yeah. is oh my god now did that, you know you sound like j-law it's like now oh, that yeah. i think about it yes you totally yeah, yeah i do i know um do you think you sound like jennifer lawrence? well i do now i like i can't hear my own voice and like but yeah, I mean, I hear it, like, when I'm, like, listening. Very slightly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. People are always like, say, where's the pizza? Or, like, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> funny. Um, but something to do with, with that, I'm, I'm a really good storyteller. But what it all comes down to is when I was young, I did theater. Um, my mom got me into theater. I was, like, in a bunch of local plays when I was a kid. I'm sure you can find them in the Idaho Statesman. Um, but, yeah, I did theater, and then... Later on, my dad had me public speaking to raise money for juvenile diabetes research. Um, so I was never afraid of a crowd, and I really knew how to put a sentence together. And then on top of that, I've written several books. So I know how to write up a case and how it should look and how... I, I mean, I write all my cases up before I present them. So um, I know what's going to sound good and intriguing and in what order it should go in to keep people from scrolling. I would say that'd be yeah. gnarly if you're just doing all the off the top of your head. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, I think I yeah, read no, this no, one no. time. No, yeah. It's... So what, do you like set up in front of like a computer, I assume? Mm -hmm. And yeah. then is it, do you like kind of teleprompter style where you like scroll down and read? I mean, obviously you're limited on time on like TikTok, but. Yeah, so I, I have a pretty good idea of how many pages are going to be how many parts. Uh, like depending on the episode, I try not to go over four parts. Four parts, five parts is like my hard limit. You see that's where, uh, like, attention kind of falls off? That and, yeah, that and it's it's hard for me to write out a story that long, yeah. honestly. Like, pretty much, like, six or seven pages of a story is going to be my limit. So most of them are four, which is, like, going to be about two parts. Um, but it's really, it, it's taxing on me to write out a 10 part episode and make it make sense. Yeah. And then I go back and watch it and I'm like, yeah, this makes sense to me. But then I have people in my comments who are like, wait, so what happened? And so you can miss a part, especially in like a, an algorithm like TikTok is you, I could get part two and then the next day I see like part six. Right. So it's like, well, this doesn't make sense. This lady's crazy. Like, right. <laughs> and like, it's, it's very easy for me. The, the longer the episode is going to be, the easier it is for me to get sidetracked and to start injecting my bias opinions which is what I really try to avoid you know in a lot of cases obviously it's going to come through with cases like Larry Craig cases like the Boise Pope like those kind of things I was going to say it was really funny in the one about the the Walgreens uh, murder when like everyone there was kind of a shithead in their own way and you would be like you every time you wanted to go off on one of them and you're like let me just say she wasn't the best person and then you would like continue the story. I have to find my bearings because at the end of the day people watch my TikTok for true crime. They don't watch my TikTok for Andy. You know, if they want to follow me on Snapchat or Instagram, they can get Andy'd out as much as they want. But on my TikTok, people come there for true crime and true crime only. Right. So I have to really, really try to just reel it back in. And the Walgreens murder, it was, that was not my best work. Honestly, I, I'm a little ashamed of it. I'm debating redoing the story just because it... I feel bad for the victims in that case and I never ever want to deepen a wound and you know I don't think that murder is funny I don't think it's funny I I don't think that it should be laughed about or anything like that and I do a pretty good job of making that clear in my story there but at the end of the day yeah most of the people in that story were complete and total ass wipes but that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to you know 
drive that right. point I mean, home. I, yeah, I mean, you definitely did a good job of, like, people who were true victims, like Emmett's wife and stuff. Like, you didn't say anything about her, obviously, because she wasn't part of that whole trifecta. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was funny. You, like, have to stop yourself from, like, going off on the three who were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really funny. Well, and what people don't realize is that I do so much research into these cases and then I have to choose, I have to trim the fat, right? So I have to choose what's going to make it in our TikTok videos, you know, along with my team, but I, we have to pick and choose. So sometimes things don't make it in the videos that like I have every right to be so fucking mad about. And I have a bigger scope of it than like most people do, just like daily people do, because we have access to you know, news articles with paywalls, we have access to police reports, we have access to like a bunch of things that um, make us extremely angry, make me extremely angry, but we don't often include them in the news article, whether they're either because they aren't reliable sources or just because we don't, like I said, we don't want to get sued after like for saying something that's just an opinion. So yeah, sometimes I'm way like really, really mad, and people ask like, "Why are you so mad?" I'm like, if you did the investigation, you would be mad too. You know? Well, how long uh, would an investigation take you on average for a TikTok story? It's completely different for every single one. Um, I did one. The video is no longer available, but it was on the case of Carissa Benway. Her family asked me to go ahead and remove the video. Um, I was very respectful. I want to make that very clear. It was a very respectful video, but I have to respect the family's wishes at the end of the day. And the Chris Benway case took me a, like a total of 16 hours to investigate wow. it. Yeah, there was so much and it was so hard to find reliable information on it. And that is a horrific, horrific murder. It is awful and where, where in idaho was that that was in coeur d'alene okay mm-hmm. it was it was northeast of coeur d'alene it was just at a campsite honeysuckle campsite um that seems spooky a campsite murder yeah it and it's it's awful but she was 14 and at the end of the day you know her mom has always denied people of making documentaries of doing anything and i think that our team thought we were in the clear because we don't make money off of it because we weren't trying to capitalize on a it wasn't you know, a cash grab. Yeah. Right, exactly. And we weren't in the clear, bottom line, and, and that was on us. We we should have and and we always try to find the families and ask. And so, you know, we, we kinda have we get put between this rock and a hard place of like, does the public have a right to know? Because one of the people who's responsible for Carissa's death is living in Idaho and he's free. You know, he spent five years in prison and he got released. He is still a danger to our community. So in my head, I'm I'm always trying to do the right thing. You know, I'm trying to respect the family, but I'm also trying to warn the public about these people. And so in my head, I thought that one outweighed the other. But at the end of the day, I was not a victim in this. Carissa's right. family was the victims in this. How, so I had to delete the video. How often does is the family um, supportive versus... Um, I don't know the right word here of like obviously want not asking you to take it down probably politely. I'm sure I assume no one's like very rude. Like, Hey, take this down like right now. So Larry Craig's family was very rude. (laughs) (laughs) So that his family reached out. Oh yeah. Oh, Oh, big time. Lots of them. And I know this cause you know, my, I have a research team and they were able to link them through the family tree. Um, so Larry Craig's family was very, very rude. And that's one of the reasons I didn't even once consider taking the video down. Um, but Carissa Benway's, it wasn't her mom who actually saw it. It was a friend of the family who saw it. And she was pretty rude. But I wasn't 
I don't judge her for that. I mean, that was so traumatic for her. Yeah, you just got to imagine being in her shoes. 100%. 100%. And at the end of the day, you know, her mom, I I did get in contact with Carissa's mom, and I didn't even have to ask her. I was like, look, you know, so sorry. We'll take it down. It's not our right to talk about it. And, like, and in the future, that might change. So we're we're not, we don't, we're new to this. So we don't really know, like, what to do in those scenarios where it's like, well, this is all public information, That's you know? Right, yeah. I'm just putting it into one air, like yeah. one place where people can watch Sum it all. Sum it up, essentially. I, I was going to say, like, specifically for the Larry Craig stuff, like, there's a whole Wikipedia page and there's, mm-hmm. like, news articles about it. Like, it seems weird that they're coming after you specifically. 100%. And, like, I say in the in the beginning of that video, like, if I end up dead, it'll be because of this video. You would be shocked by the amount of people who made fun of me for saying that. But they don't see my Instagram messages. They don't right. see... My, you know, my family who is getting Instagram messages, they don't see any of that. I get death threats constantly for, for covering these cases, you know? Which is so crazy to me because, like, you're not doing anything wrong. And it's just All weird that All the information it's like, is literally public knowledge. That's a, Yeah, it's like it's already public knowledge. Like, that's obviously if you just, like, you had a family friend who went, you know, went through some stuff and then all of a sudden they're on their For You page and it's you, like, talking about. Like, that's different, but, like, it's, like, public knowledge like you it is yeah and and that's what every that's what everyone was saying like you're not going to get death threats this is public knowledge it's like well but i'm still going to get death threats because you know the family and his supporters are in complete denial Mm -hmm. that this is even has any sort of palpable grounding that this actually happened and it's like yeah it is it is public knowledge but at the end of the day, with this with this specific video, I knew this Larry Craig video was just going to take off because this happened right when Gen Z, Gen Z, yeah, Gen Z was either from like zero to seven years old, so they don't remember it, right? And your number one demographic on TikTok is going to be Gen Z. If you can get Gen Z, you can get anybody. That's where you're going to get all your views. So the fact that I blew Gen Z's mind with this information over this story that no one has talked about in years, yeah. that's was, what uh, got it so much popularity. Okay, I could see why maybe they'd be mad because it probably, like, sw- that was, what, 2007 or something 2007, like that? 2007, yeah. So it was swept kind of under the yeah, rug. Yeah, it was swept under the rug and kind of gone about. 100%. They thought they were finally moving right. on. Right. Yeah, and I empathize with the family. I do, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, don't shoot the fucking messenger dude right. this is all public information i got wow. all this information information from pretty much the idaho statesman um you know idaho press idaho tribune um my own knowledge of the case um yeah. the the person who accused him the first time actually wrote a book so i bought his book and i got a lot of my information from there like this is not just like You're something not just making this shit up right yeah. right Right. And so the fact that, you know, I'm getting like cease and desist, like those kind of things for that video, it's like see in court, man. Like I, I, I never once. So you'd be willing to go to court for it? Absolutely. Oh, I always will. Every single time. Like you're not going to beat me in this 100%. And like if they try to take me in court over a TikTok or take me to court over a TikTok, TikTok gets involved and TikTok runs their own investigation. Yeah. So they're going to come back empty handed. Yeah. You know, it's double and trouble on your side. 100%. And I don't know, like, I, I'm just not super worried about it. I'm really not. I mean, I'm going to get hate no matter what I do. Right. At the end of the day, like, I wish people would realize that I'm trying to be the good guy here. You know, like, I'm not siding with a murderer. I'm not siding with pedophiles. I'm not siding with any of those people. I'm trying to get the information out to people. Right. Bottom line. stories. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then on, on the flip side of that, have you had families reach out to you and be like, hey, can you post our story can you talk about what happened to our family hundreds a day 
Really? Hundreds wow. a day. Yeah. Yeah. I have a my I have a person who does my emails. Um and you know, she just says, you know, you get one to two hundred emails a day with requests. We have like a link in our bio with a link tree, um, where people can, you know, send us an email or whatever. We do get them on Instagram and, you know, we have a team who or someone on our team is always like, hey, like, send this to us in an email. Give us as much information as you can. Names, dates, you know, counties. And, but yeah, we have, I wish you could see our list. Do the, it uh, is crazy. Do the families ever help out at all? Like, hey, like, I'll give you all the information I have. Um, yes. Like, Yeah, I did conduct one interview with a girl who, her mother was murdered um, in Twin Falls, probably, you know, 15 years ago. And she just said that it kind of got swept under the rug because the family didn't really want to talk about it at the time. But she feels like she has the right to bring attention to her mother's case. And I'll be airing that episode in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Cool. Um, I was going to ask, though, like, have you ever, has a case ever, like, reopened or anything because of your TikTok? Like, you talked about the, I forgot their names, but it was like they moved from Utah to start a family. The Medleys, yeah. Yeah. And then he just disappeared. He vanished. I So a case has never reopened. I mean, that's... That's the goal, right? Yeah, like that would be sick. a dream come true. Um, and next, if that ever does happen, you guys can have me back. But um, yeah, no, nothing's ever happened. But I do keep track of Google stats. And the amount of times that his name was Googled after that was just astronomical. Really? Yeah. People are just looking for him now. Yeah. I mean, people are just looking for him. I have friends in Utah who are like, oh, like people sent me this TikTok. Like everyone's on a bolo, which is a be on the lookout mm. like for this guy. I, I personally think he's dead. But it's still cool to know that I had, like, such a big impact, at least just even between Idaho and Utah. So Yeah. I mean, that that's insane. And did this kind of happen, like, overnight? Like, it was one video that blew up, and from there you kind of, like, you got the ball rolling? Or was it more of a slow process to get to, like, where you're at? It's It's been slow. It, well, when it's fast, it's fast. And when it's slow, it's slow. But I have always been able to control that. So, like, when I first got my TikTok, I was just posting everyday things, you know, my boyfriend at the time, those kind of things. Um, and then I would have a video every once in a while go viral. Mm-hmm. My first big jump in followers was because I started I started a series called My Boyfriend's a Manipulative Asshole, but in the most endearing of ways. And I probably gained about 40,000 followers from that. And wow. it was all, it was my main uh, dynamic was Hispanics because my my now husband is Mexican Hispanic, um, so I got a lot of those um, those kind of follows and those kind of people who wanted to just see like what me and my boyfriend were up to and like the daily life of like a white girl dating you know a Mexican, and which like to me like isn't very entertaining but people loved it mm-hmm. and so my next big rush was when I dropped the Chop Chop House story. Um, and between there, I would drop, drop some here and there. I did have one go viral where I talked about how I was managing to afford my insulin. Um, that one went viral, um, and how I was able to buy a house that one went viral, but this is all over like the course of like a couple of years. And I would always pull back after that. It was just uh-huh. like, it would go viral. I would get anxious cause it's getting way too much attention. Like uh, this is way over my head and I would just completely like go dark. Yeah. And then I posted the Meridian, um, the, the Walgreens story and that one did pretty well. And then the Peyton and Nadia medley one really, really took off. Right. And then I had, you know, friends of friends of friends hitting me up being like I saw your TikTok and that's when I really realized that I had something so yeah because I was gonna say like um it was 
maybe two weeks ago now, I was just like laying in bed going through TikTok and the Menly story came up on my For You page. And I was like, oh, this is like in Idaho. So I clicked your account and then I saw like all the Idaho crimes on your, uh, like the tabs on the top of TikTok, you know, like the folders. Yeah, the playlist. Yeah, the playlist. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, what? Like she has hella stories. So I like was going through all of them, like the Walgreens and all that stuff. And that was like two weeks ago and you were at like 110,000 followers. Mm-hmm. And then like I checked last week, af- you know, after I reached out and you were at like 120 and then I checked today and you were at 140. Yeah, I've gained about 30,000 followers in the last two weeks. Um, That's I- crazy. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Like I said, if there's one thing I know how to do, it's to grow like my following. I have never had an issue when I am ready to grow a following. I've done it on Instagram, I've done it on Twitter, and now I'm doing it on TikTok. Like that is, I've always been good at it. It just was a matter of me being mentally prepared for it, emotionally prepared for it. And like, you know, I am now, cause I, I lived a crazy life. I had no stability in my life until recently. And so once I was able to buy a house and then me and my husband got married and then we're really settling in. And I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like I'm in a good place where I can really do this and really make it take off. And next thing I know, here I am. So. Yeah. I, I was going to say, cause like how fast, like your account and everything's growing. We were talking about Mr. Ballin before, before we aired. Um, let's say you get like the, the blue check mark, you get, you know, a couple mil followers maybe let's say, and you get hit with like this fame. Do you think you'd be able to handle it? I don't know. Um, You know, I've always been pretty, like, well-known in the Boise community because my dad is, like, locally famous. Oh, really? Yeah. So I've been well-known in the past, and I've never had an issue with it, but there is a couple of things that I don't know if I'd be able to handle. But at the end of the day, I realize that I'm in control of my account and I can shut that shit down so quick. Like, I could just make it go away. Um, And... People are on to the next thing. I mean, we live in a, a time of social media where if I, you know, got to the peak of fame and then shut down or my account got banned or whatever, like I would just live my life. And in six months, they'd be on to the next thing. There's going to be another celebrity coming. So. Have you have you got anything from TikTok about like, because I know the, the guidelines are pretty um, weird with like what it picks up and what it doesn't pick up. Have you gotten any like strikes or anything that like any worries or? There was one. Um, where I was talking about the arrest report and how it is my Bible. Um, every single day I am on that Ada County fucking arrest report looking at everyone who got a fucking DUI. Like, nobody is safe. If you think that you've been arrested in Boise and that I don't know about it, you're wrong. I know that you got arrested. It's fun to go on Fridays and Saturdays to see if any of our colleagues got arrested. Sunday morning is my church on that arrest report. Mm, I did see that video of you're like, because there's the arrest report, but you're like, if you want to really fucking dive deep, you go into this. um, Yeah, the IDOC, the portal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can really, I mean, you can look up any, like we have a right as Idaho citizens to see anyone's arrest record. Sometimes they're hard to find because people change their names, but yeah. Um, so what was the question? Uh, it was just like, we kind of went off top. It was just about <laughs> like that. If you got like famous, like oh, yeah, time, yeah. right? Oh yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I would be okay, but at the end of the day, like, I trust myself to make the call of when it's getting out of hand. Yeah. So, especially because, like, I'm, I'm planning on having kids in the next couple of years. Like, if it starts being detrimental to them, 
Right. I'm just going to pull the plug on it. Yeah. I mean, it's not that big of a loss to me. I mean, it's cool for yeah. sure. People recognize me everywhere I go. I just went to Mulligans and people are like, are you Andy from TikTok? Really? Oh, yeah. That's everywhere awesome. I go. It's why because people don't recognize my face, but they recognize my voice. Would you ever hand off like the face of it then? Like where you like just kind of back end manage and do your research? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what my team thinks because I'm not the only person here. Like I have a whole I have a team of people. OK, so go into that a little bit. You keep saying team. So what does your team look like then? Like how many so, people? What, what are the roles? There's. There's four of us total. Um, there's me. I'm the host, and pretty much the like the lead. I do all the the research into cases, and then I have a moderator, and she arguably has the biggest job. She goes through all of my comments, um, blocks people who violate rules, deletes irrelevant comments, those kind of things. Notifies me of how many people she blocks per day. It's usually about a hundred. Um, and then yeah, she she really is the MVP. And then I have another person who handles like other socials. So they do Instagram, emails, those kind of things. And then my last person um, gives me, my last person being my sister. My last person like sends me cases, like those kind of things. What do people want to hear most? What's being talked about the most? You know, like, like I the know analytic that. analytic person kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that there like a couple of days ago, a famous Boise influencer like got arrested for a hit and run, mm -hmm. like essentially murder. And she just was like, you got to get on this. You got to yeah. get on this, you know? So we're probably going to release an episode about that once we get some more information or once she's arranged. I just so. remember what that question was. It was uh, the TikTok guidelines. Oh, TikTok guidelines. Yeah. Because you were saying the, oh, the rest right. record yeah. is your I forgot. Bible. Yeah. So that one I did get in trouble for because I stated that this girl that I have beef with got arrested for assault. And that girl definitely saw that TikTok because she's friends with my ex and my ex probably sent it to her. Anyway, fuck that girl. I don't like her. Um, but she probably reported the video. I fought it and I won. So I got the video back up. I didn't name her or anything like that. But yeah, she did get arrested for assault and I did kind of throw her under the bus for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so like that's the only one. I was really surprised and I'm still surprised that I haven't gotten in trouble for the Larry Craig video. But I'm very, very careful with what I say in my videos, because if I'm not breaking any guidelines, like not cursing, you're not talking about anything terrible. If I bleep out my captions, like those kind of things, if you notice, like when I say sex or anything like that, there'll be a bunch of zeros um, or murder or anything like that. Like um, keywords. Yeah. Keywords that could get caught. Like if you're going to get caught, it's going to be through your captions. So never let TikTok auto populate your captions. You always want to go in and edit them so that they're not traceable. Um, and so, yeah, I, I haven't gotten in trouble yet, but if I did, I would fight it and I pretty confident I would win. Let's yeah. go. Um, has there been any crime or, you know, story you've researched and looked into that just stuck with you more than any others? Yeah. Um, Robert Manuel, which I've already covered. That was a really hard case to cover. Um, you know, I remember when the Robert Manuel case happened, he was the, the, the kid who was beat to the child who was beat to death by his, uh, by his mom and his stepdad, allegedly. Um, that one was really hard because it was very, I mean, it was, you know, I don't have to say much more. Right. It was awful. Um, the other one that really stuck with me was the Wolf Lodge murders, um, which I did cover. Um, Duncan, the, the serial killer, Kidnapped these two little two little kids, Shasta Graney and her, her brother Dylan. Grony, excuse me. I keep getting corrected for that on TikTok. Shasta Grony and her brother Dylan. Um, and he did unspeakable things for several weeks. And she was, Shasta was rescued in a Denny's in Coeur d'Alene. And I think that that one really changed me. Like, 
just because one, there's so much information on it. I mean, there are so many news articles. There's so many details and researching that one really fucked me up. Like it really made me realize that what, what I'm doing here on my TikTok is more than just views. It's never been about views. You know, we need people in Idaho to realize that these people are right in our fucking backyard. Like, they live and breathe the same air as us, and they are nightmares of people. They they don't deserve life, in my opinion. Not, it's hard to say that, but they don't deserve to get away with it without having their face blasted, right? So Shasta Graney was a really hard case. I would think that the last one, and this is horrific for an entirely different reason, and I'm going to cover this in, in a story in the next couple of weeks, would be the Idaho gay boy scandal. Um, also known as the Boise Boys, which was a scandal that happened in the 1950s. A lot of people don't know about this. A scandal that happened in the 1950s where basically a mass panic went out about being gay, some gayness going on in, in Boise. Um, basically, these three guys got arrested for pedophilia. They were, you know, hiring teenagers to perform sex acts on them, teenage boys. And the Idaho statesman, you know, who I love and, you know, please don't sue me. But they released a article back in the 50s causing mass panic in Boise, basically just calling these people deviants, saying like it was completely consensual. They didn't bring up the fact that these children were being raped, you know, like 14 year old boys. That's not consensual. That is not consensual right. sex. You can't hire them for sex and think that that's consensual. That's called statutory rape. So the, the scandal, it's not even a scandal. It's a living nightmare. Um, and it caused this mass panic. And like it was basically a witch hunt after that. Every politician was being accused of, of being gay. Um, when at the end of the day, what it came down to was three pedophiles who did get tried and convicted and I think um, served their life in prison. So wow. that one was pretty horrific. So you yeah. don't just do murder then? No, I just do true crime. Just crime. I mean, Larry Craig wasn't murder. He just got, he just got accused of soliciting a, a cop for sex. So, wow. I'm a, I, I think I'm a new fan of this genre for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna go home after this and watch just either a bunch of Netflix documentaries or throw on. There's a there's a crazy one. I think I, it was a couple of years ago, but on Netflix it was up in Coeur d'Alene or near Coeur d'Alene. You've probably seen it. It's like the was it Ruby Ridge? I don't remember the names. I watched it forever ago, but it was pretty much like this guy who was. Moved into like this family, and he was obsessed with like their daughter. Oh yeah, um, that took place in Pocatello. Actually, Jan Broberg, the little girl in that video, is friends with my mom. Oh really? Mm -hmm. They went to camp together when they were kids, um, and that's called Abducted in Plain Sight. That's yeah. a great documentary. Yeah. You should watch that. That is, is that, a horrific case. I think I started that one because it, someone told me it was in Pocatello. Yeah. The last one I watched that was true crime. It was um, uh, it was the one where the the guy, the husband, murdered the the mom. And then went and buried her out in like the middle of the desert, and then put the kids in the uh, the oil tanks. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You showed me called. that like two years ago. That one is like, awful. Like that guy was, can burn in hell, dude. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I was like, how the hell could you do that? What a psychopath! And, uh, but yeah, and he played it off like he didn't even know what happened for like. Yeah. And the neighbor was onto him. Yeah, for like, yeah. For like a week. He's the like, clip oh, where he's like all fidgety when they're yeah, watching. He's like, like oh, the, he yeah. doesn't normally act like that. Yeah. And then yeah, it turns out at the end, I was like, whoa, that was crazy. But yeah, Pocatello is a weird place. I actually refuse to go there. Um, I was just there a few months ago, and I I, yeah, I refuse to go there. <laughs> I think it is the weirdest place on earth. There's three reasons I won't go there. One, 
because of Jan Broberg. It's just fucking weird there. I swear to God. There's another case from there that I'm going to cover on my sto- on my page where a little girl got abducted while she was selling Girl Scout cookies. And that was happened in a long, long time ago. But we'll, we'll cover that as well. Number two is, did you know that they had the highest violent crime rate in Idaho? No. And isn't you Idaho's are crime rate overall pretty low? Really low. But, but Pocatello is higher than the national average. Whoa. You are oh. 1 in 27 likely to get to be the victim of a violent crime there. Whereas in Boise, you're one out of 52. Wow, wow, that's a huge... Isn't that nuts? Yeah, but I mean, even one out of 52 in Boise seems high to me. It's, it's I think it's 19% lower than the national average. Okay. Yeah, but Pocatello is just, it's a weird place. Yeah, I don't think I've honestly ever actually been to Pocatello. Yeah, the last reason I won't go is because of the Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> Fair <laughs> just, enough. I'm an ex-Mormon and I... I don't know. They're like 55% LDS and the rest of them are college kids. And those are my two biggest fears, Mormons and college <laughs> kids. <so. laughs> yeah, there's there's no reason for you to go down there. No, then. no, no, no. Um, talking about like Mr. Ball, and you were saying before we recorded too, he he, he, he responds to like emails when you reach out. And oh, stuff. yeah. Anyone who emails him, he'll respond to you. Yeah. What, sure. what was your conversation? Was it just like help and like um, tips and stuff? Yeah. So it started with the... Um, with the Carissa Benway case, because when when I did get notified about, you know, the family might not being okay with this, I froze. And I was like, I didn't, like, I thought about it, but, like, I thought that I was doing the right thing here. Was that your first big, like, oh, shit moment? Yes. No. Well. Like, major, oh, like, oh, like. It was my, it was my come to God moment about where I lie on the morality scale for this. Like, it's, it because it really is what's, like, moral versus what's legal for me. And, like, I am the one who has to draw that boundary at the end of the day of, like, deciding what I think is right. Because at the end of the day, I'm trying to do the right thing no matter what. You know, like, just trying to get the story out here. But, like, if that offends the family, I have to decide, like, ooh, what out, like, does the good outweigh the bad? You know, that kind of stuff. But I just, I reached out to Mr. Ballin because he's one of my favorite YouTubers. I just adore him. Me and my husband listen to him all the time. And... You know, he just gave me some really good advice and just wished me the best of luck. Let let me know if I have any more questions I can ask him. And so I've just, you know, he responds probably like every couple of days. That's awesome. Um, but yeah. anytime I have a question, Mr. Ballin's the one I go to. He's yeah, seriously cool. great. Have you done a collab or anything like with another true crime? Mm-hmm. Like a, a multi-state uh, story would be pretty cool. It would be cool. There's a couple of cases where people bring it up where it's like, well, the murder didn't technically happen in Idaho, but like it's an Idahoan that it happened, those kind of things. So I've thought about maybe reaching out, but I think I really want to build my foundation a little stronger before I do that. Okay. So you want to stay in just Idaho crime for now? Before yeah. You- okay. Absolutely. Like I'm really trying to stick to Idaho crime and I get, I get people all the time who are like, you should do this crime. You should do this crime. And I'm like, it's not in Idaho. What's the, like, do you do what, I would say the majority probably is already previously open or closed cases that happened probably, what, five years or longer back. Do you do, like, a lot of, like, modern stuff, or how much, like, modern criminal cases do you do? Um, like, you were just talking about the, the influencer who did the hit and run the other day, like... Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of just... I guess it's hard it's, to get information on that type of stuff, right? Cause yeah, it's so yeah, fresh. Yeah, because it's easier, so fresh. Yeah. It is, and that's a big reason why I will not do the Lori Vallow case. Um, people keep asking me, why won't you do Lori Vallow? Why won't you do Dior Coons? And the two reasons is because they are so fresh. I mean, Lori hasn't even been sentenced like uh, it there's and on top of that there's way too much information for me to fit it into my five episode rule or to my five video rule I just I would not be able to do 
Tylee and JJ or Dior any sort of justice with the information I would be able to cram into four videos. Right. It's just not fair to them. Or lack of information. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if I ever started a podcast, hell yeah, that would be the first thing I'd cover. It would be Lori Vallow and JJ and Tylee and, and you know, Dior Coons. But, like, in the meantime... I just, I I know TikTok. I know how people react to things. I know TikTok like the back of my hand and what people are going to say. And all of my comments are going to be hatred towards me for leaving something out. And I, I can't do that to my mental health. And I can't feel confident and good about releasing something that I do not feel like did the victims justice. Yeah. yeah. Have you uh, thought about... Um, going to YouTube too, like Mr. Ballin and have like longer stories where you don't have to cut it up into eight parts or podcasts. Yeah, I've thought about it. I think it's a good idea. Um, it would just take some time, um, and some money. So I, you know, it, it's possible that it's coming. I've considered it heavily We're me and my husband are kind of in like a difficult living situation right now. Like we own, we own our place, but it's very small and I don't have like the studio I want to have those kind of things. But we are buying a house in the next couple of months, and the house that we're planning to buy has room for a studio. So I think that my my scope is about to become much larger once yeah. I have my own work area. It's all coming together now. Yeah, yeah. totally. That's that's insane. That's pretty cool. All right. So Jordan Shaver, Garden City, Idaho. Um, she was born sometime in the early '90s, and at least went to high school in the area. Um, although there isn't a whole lot of information out there about her early life. The only reason I know this is because I met her ex-boyfriend at a party <laughs> um, in 2016, and he had been talking about how he was on an episode of Snapped centered around this case. So it's interesting. Um, so Jordan met 49-year-old uh, Brian Geddes sometime in 2012. Now, I have a little bit of a personal tie with Brian Geddes. He was a car dealer, and my dad is a very reputable car dealer in the area, so I would sometimes see him like at the car auction, or he would donate to my dad's juvenile diabetes research thing, um, those kind of things. Um, he owned a really nice trailer home in Garden City, um, and he had several cars, including a Hummer, motorcycle. It's pretty common for car dealers to own several vehicles. He was friendly with his neighbors. Um, he had children who he contacted frequently and grandchildren who loved him. He was all around a stellar guy from all accounts. Um, he had warm and friendly smile. If you guys Google a picture of him, picture of him he just looks like a your average really car, nice car salesman. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. he's going to cheese you away, right? <laughs> um, he was always joking and laughing, and he made um, a pretty nice life for himself. So so he met Jordan, allegedly, on the green belts along the river in Garden City. Uh -oh. And uh, she seemed really frazzled and battered. Um, he asked her if she was okay, and she asked him if she could, like, hide out in his house for a while um, because her boyfriend had just beaten her up, um, and she was attempting to flee him. Um, from my understanding, after this, Jordan just kind of never left his house. So she just, like, moved in. He told friends and family that this was more of a roommate situation and that she was just falling on hard times and he was trying to help her. So around late October, a young man, we're going to call him Dylan just to respect his privacy. Um, this was the guy I met at the party. <laughs> um, started running with a similar crowd as Jordan. Um, she would invite, like, dozens of people back to her super nice trailer to party. Um, when people would ask her, how did you get all of this? You're like 21 years old. Um, Dylan stated that she would respond, oh, you know, there was like this guy who was in a bind. He had to leave the country. So he sold it to me super cheap. Um, and these fucking 21 year olds like believed her. And in their defense, I mean, like 
I was also dumb when I was 21. So like if I'm not going to question, like I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me because she was giving them drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. I'm sure that, you know, they just were like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, They're like, whatever. So Dylan and Jordan kind of start hooking up. Um, They're texting a lot. He's staying over at the house. I mean, basically like living there. Um, And one day Dylan is out on the driveway A neighbor kind of waves him over and asks him like, Hey, like, have you seen Brian? And he just like, he was like super sus. Anyway, um, Dylan looked weird at him and was like, oh, that must be the guy who like moved to a different country. Uh, the neighbor didn't say anything, but he gave him a really fucking weird look and then just like walked right back into his house. Now, Brian's family was very concerned. They hadn't heard in, heard from him in weeks. Um, his daughter knew something was wrong because he didn't call or text her on her birthday um, and when she was texting him, asking what was going on, he responded that he was in jackpot and having the time of his life. The text became fewer and more vague until they all stopped altogether. So a missing persons case was filed and the cops stopped by Brian's trailer to sort of check it out with the permission of the family to go inside. Um, it was low key kind of trashed and obvious evidence that Jordan had been living there and probably left the home just like a few minutes prior to their arrival. Uh, that same day, the police found the body of Brian Gettys wrapped in a tarp stashed under the trailer. Um, Jordan was arrested on November 3rd of 2012 for first degree murder after being located at a business complex off Glenwood and State Street. I think it was the Walmart off Glenwood and State, or it might have been the Ross kind of like across from it. I'm not really sure. They were able to track her because she had Brian's cell phone with her. Uh, They actually arrested her for failure to appear on a burglary charge. So she wasn't arrested for the murder. She was arrested for something that she didn't appear for. And then she was charged, subsequently charged with the murder. Um, So she was originally charged with second degree murder, but it was upgraded to first degree once they got more information. So what the fuck happened? Well... Uh, The autopsy showed that the cause of death was a single gunshot wound to the head, execution style. Now, Jordan claims that she and Brian were definitely in a relationship. Duh. I think we all put that together. But she states that on the evening of October 16, 2012, the night before Brian's 50th birthday, she had given Brian her handgun to fix. And And she also had been giving him a massage while he handed it back to her and the gun discharged, killing him instantly. So she did plead guilty with the agreement that the charges would be reduced to second degree murder. She was sentenced to 20 years and then she's uh, 20 years and then she will be eligible for parole. She is almost halfway done with her sentence. 2022. Yeah, 2022. Yeah. She is almost halfway done with her sentence, like a couple months. Yeah. Wow. Brian's kids are fucking incredible people. Um, y'all can go down your own rabbit hole on that. Uh, but they really are special and they went through so much with this absolute nightmare of a woman in Brian's obituary. It states Brian started his car dealership in the eighties with a $600 unemployment check and was still running it until the day he died. He loved cars, fishing and spending time with his grandchildren. And just for the record, Jordan looks really fucking ugly in her mugshot. (laughs) (laughs) That's my story. That's crazy. Um, so like, is second degree, I could just be dumb here, but second degree murder, does that mean it was like an accident or is that manslaughter? It, it, so it could be a crime of passion. It, it's more of like an in the moment. So first degree murder means there has to be premeditation, right? right? So like if, if we plan to murder you and then we went and did it. Second degree murder is more of like a, like I said, a crime of passion or we both reach for the gun sometimes. It'll be like that. 
it's kind of a blurred line between all of them. But it, yeah, essentially it means like it, it wasn't planned. It just happened. But it wasn't an accident. But it wasn't necessarily an accident. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. That's crazy. That was 2012. 2012. Yeah. Just in our backyard. Garden yeah. City. Yeah. Just Garden City. Just down yeah. the street. Yeah. State Street's right here. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, we'll use that for our clickbait probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's definitely going to be the uh, the opener. Yeah. For sure. How much research did it take for that specific case? That took about an hour. Okay. So that one wasn't. That one wasn't super long, and I've actually followed the Jordan Shaver case. Shaver case. Cause case. Excuse me. Jordan Shaver case. Um, just because my dad was friends with Brian. So we knew about it, like, right when it happened. I've watched, I, like like I said, there's a Snapped episode. I think there's, like, an Oxygen episode, too, or something. So I'd, I had watched it all. It was pretty easy for me to put all the pieces together, so. Yeah. Um, so I, I was texting him last week about trying to maybe do something cool at, like, the Idaho State Penitentiary because it has, like, this aura around it, and it's, like, mm-hmm. One of like Idaho's like main like attractions in a way is where does that sound? Um, isn't there kind of like weird shit with the uh, penitentiary? Like, wasn't there like some horror stories and stuff that went down there or no? Don't even get me fucking started. Have right you done now. videos on that yet? No. Um, I did want to take some time to talk about death row inmates today, and I do go into a lot of history at the penitentiary. Um, but yeah, have you guys ever toured it? No. I wanted to do, do you it. guys live under a fucking rock? Yeah. Like, get I grew out up there. here, too. I've never done it, though. Dude, it's so cool. I, and, you know, to be fair, I hadn't done it. I did it once maybe in third grade, and then I did it once, like, maybe last summer. And it is freaky. I mean, like, you go in. There's so much to tour. There's so many horror stories. There's so many. You get to see the execution room. You get to see, like, there's this wall of, like, makeshift shanks and weapons that the, um the people who were in the prison had made at the time and they're like freaky like going this week oh it's so cool and you should go out and support them i mean they're they're a non-profit so okay i was gonna say too though it'd be pretty cool if we could do something where it's like go in at like night almost like uh mythbusters or Mm -hmm. uh what's the ghost hunting stuff i know a ghost hunter show did do something there and they gave them like special permission to do that shit but like i wouldn't be caught dead doing that Really? I don't yeah, fuck I'm with out. that kind of stuff. Yeah. You wouldn't, you're on your own. You wouldn't yeah, come in with that's that just Ouija you. board with me. I'll no. give you a GoPro and you can stream it. But I wouldn't I'll do watch, a Ouija board right here. I don't fuck with really? that. I don't fuck with that kind of stuff. Nuh-uh. I think that'd be kind of kind of crazy. Uh-uh. No. You're, you're on your own. I think you, you got a death wish, bud. Dang. Yeah. I know a good priest when you need your exorcism. It's going to be a danger case here soon. <laughs> I don't know. You know. See what happens. The most know. dangerous thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That stuff doesn't like phase me that much. I guess unless that's because you haven't seen anything. I was gonna yet. say once something freaky as fuck yeah, happens, you just need to be humbled. Yeah, I need <laughs> exactly. I need to get humbled when it comes to that stuff. Um, so, do you want to jump into the death row stuff then? Yeah, and if if this needs to get cut, that's totally fine because it is a little bit longer. Or you guys can cut Jordan Shaver. Either way is fine. Um, uh, I'll stay in. It's a podcast. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, we got nothing, nothing to hide. We're only like an hour too. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, this this is fascinating. I put a lot of work into this, so hopefully you guys like it. So this is my Idaho death row inmates, and I did want to just say, like, I'm, I'm planning on dropping an episode or several episodes. I'm going to do kind of like a spooky kind of thing starting in September, and I'm going to go through every death row inmate in detail. Um, but right now I just kind of want to give you guys, like, an overview of everything yeah. that I've found out and everything that I'm very passionate about because I've been investigating death row for a long, long time. So Let's I think it. you guys are going to like it. So I do want to start with a little bit of history of the death penalty in Idaho. 
So the death penalty in Idaho was actually practiced before Idaho was even a state. And Idaho became a state in 1890. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, there were 14 men executed prior to Idaho becoming a state. 1864 was the first known death sentence back when Idaho was a territory. Just for some perspective, that's like 60 years, give or take, from when Lewis and Clark discovered the place. And it's like about one year after the Civil War, which people think might actually have ties to the death penalty here. Because as you guys know, a lot of um, Confederate soldiers actually fled to Idaho after to, to avoid prosecution, which is why we have like a bunch of clans in northern Idaho. Um, but from 1864 until 1901, the death sentence were carried out on a county level. So essentially the county had free reign to decide when and how they were going to happen. Um, but it is worth noting that all of them were hangings. So <laughs> there wasn't a, a whole lot of other ways to kill people back then. Um, the first known death sentence was actually a triple sentence with three men being hanged. Uh, that was on March 4th, 1864 for, the m for murder and robbery. It took place in Nez Perce County, um, which is pretty far north. It's like part of like Lewiston's part of it, um, and it's right by the Nez Perce Reservation. Um, now, in 1901, executions were ruled to be held in the old Idaho State Penitentiary from then on out. Um, the math ain't really mathing on that um, because there were a lot more executions in Idaho than there were at the penitentiary. But that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Um, so there's two spots in the Idaho State Penitentiary where that were considered as gallows, right? Um, the newer one, so the older one has been demolished. It's no longer a gallow, but the newer one, you can definitely go see and tour it. Um, and it was a specific room on a second story of a building with a viewing room off to the side with, like, some glass. Um, and basically, it was like a trap door kind of idea. Um, and then after the execution, they would make sure the person was dead and then transport the body to the morgue. In total, 10 executions took place at the Idaho State Penitentiary. All men. Uh, the last hanging to take place was Raymond Snowman, excuse me, Raymond Snowden in 1957, who, as you guys probably know, was um, Idaho's uh, Jack the Ripper. Mm. So he was actually, did you guys know he was caught down the road from this place? No. Oh. He was caught at that, um, like across from Mulligan's, that like cigar place, Hannafin's. Oh. You know the place that's like yeah. a barber shop now? Yeah. 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 He was actually apprehended at that yeah. Hannafin store. Isn't that crazy? Whoa. I yeah. wonder if there's any weird stuff that's happened in this building. This I'm one sure. Of the, this is one of the old buildings. Building, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course there was. Come on. We could do the Ouija board here. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, his execution did not go as planned. Um, his neck never snapped. So they let him hang there for 15 minutes. And his... Um, like, the families of the victims just sat there and watched him struggle. For 15 minutes. Yeah. Crazy. I felt like three hours. Fucking barbaric, yeah. dude. <laughs> anyway, um, so after this, the Supreme Court actually ruled against the death penalties sometime in the 60s. And no more took place in the United States until the right was given back to the individu individual states in 1973. Well, Idaho was uh, the first to hop on board on that. And um, Idaho then outlawed hangings and established firing squads. You guys know what that is? Yeah. Yeah, so basically they make you run out into a field and 10 people shoot at you. And the idea here is so that whoever kills you doesn't know they were the one who killed you, right? Um, where, where would they get the people for the firing squad? I'm sure that it was just like... Like, was it volunteer? Maybe like some sort of reserve job, I guess. That would be a terrible yeah. job to It have. would be awful, right. but I'm sure you make bank. So you said it's like they run out in a field? I thought it was like they sit in a chair and like in the prison and there's like 10 guys behind a... From my understanding, from when I toward the 
penitentiary, they like the field that is behind the penitentiary was the firing squad. Like, right, field. like a football field. Yeah. yeah, and they they had cleared it out just in case there were ever going to be firing squad deaths. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. So, uh, on that note, the method was actually never used in Idaho, and <laughs> they <laughs> never ever did a firing squad, as lethal injection was introduced in 1978, um, and the state gave you the choice between the two. No one chose firing squad, and it was actually done away with as recently as 2009. That's when they finally got rid of the firing squad option. Isn't Can you that imagine crazy? just like 2008, you're sitting at work and you just hear a bunch of guns go off? Yeah. And it's, oh, another <laughs> firing squad. Around. I know that the guillotine wasn't outlawed in France to like the 70s or 80s. Dead ass. Yeah, like you could still get like death by guillotine in France until like savage. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, the last execution in Idaho was actually on June 12, 2012, by a lethal injection. His name was Richard Lovett. Um, on July 18th of 1984, he stabbed a woman over 15 times after breaking into her home. He also R-worded her, and he also removed her sexual organs. So he was given the death penalty due to the severity and aggravated factors in his case. Yeah, he can burn in hell. He was on death row for about 30 years. In the past 50 years, more than 40 people have been sentenced to death in Idaho, and only three have actually been executed. Crazy. Um, So let's talk about the appeal process a little bit. Um, The appeal process is far more complex than people give it credit for. It's really not like you get three appeals and then you're fucked. Um, It's more like it's a three-step process, and then you get exonerated somewhere along the way, hopefully. So the first step, basic appeal, you're petitioning the state, kind of like a... Now, hear me out, guys, right? So um, it gives the state a chance to change their mind based on the evidence and court proceedings from the original trial. So no new evidence can be entered into this, whether that be they change your sentence or they just exonerate you completely based on the evidence that was presented in the first court trial. The second step, which has to be granted by the previous court, is going to be appealing to the U.S. Court of Appeals. That's one of the highest state courts. This is when new evidence could be reintroduced, claims of a tainted jury, requests for new testing of DNA evidence, that kind of stuff. The final step you can take in the process is going to be the United States Supreme Court to verify the death sentence. So basically they hear everything that they have and they have to give basically a big fat U.S. stamp of approval, like kill this guy, right? So now I want to, you know, talk a little bit about what it's like on death row. That's a national-wide three-step process, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep, that is nationwide. So you appeal, you appeal the state, and then you get sent to like the highest court in your state, and then you appeal the to U.S. The yeah, federal. Yep, yep. So obviously they call it death row because they're all housed in the same cell block, like in a row. Um, it's changed a lot over the years, and prisons do a better job of isolating them from each other unless they're a part of an education or an un- or an employment program. Um, Idaho is on a 23-1 schedule, which means 23 hours in the cell, one hour in the yard, and each inmate has different schedules for everything, so they don't ever over overlap with each other. They're super limited on visitation, free time, etc. However, however, several people said that they actually enjoyed being on death row. Um, besides being like really lonely, it was quite peaceful and very self-reflective. So let's get to the good part: the current death row inmates in Idaho. So the first one is Jonathan Daniel Renfro. Um, he's currently on death row for shooting a police officer in the face in Coeur d'Alene on May 5th, 2015. He's the most 
the newest Idaho inmate to be on death row. So about seven years on death row. He is on his first step towards petitioning the court, and that's about how long it takes, like seven years, sometimes up to 15 years, so that's pretty standard. Um, Gerald Pizzuto, 66 years old, been on death row for 35 years. He was convicted of murdering Berta Herndon and her nephew Del Herndon in Idaho County in 1985. Idaho County is kind of like Grangeville, northern Idaho, just before the panhandle. It's actually the biggest county in Idaho. I didn't know that until I was researching this case by like a long shot. It touches one end of the state to the other end of the state. Did you guys know that? And it's It's not even the panhandle? It's not even to the pan. Like it's like right at the beginning of the panhandle and then it's almost like a giant like semicircle all the way around it. It's pretty wild. Um, so he was apparently taken off of death row in February, 2022. And I just found this out. So when I was originally researching this, I didn't know he was off of death row, but as of right now, he is no longer on death row. He is terminally ill with some sort of brain damage that he endured when he was a child and allegedly from getting his ass whooped in prison so many times, he actually did petition governor little years ago because of this. And he was denied life in prison. And then in February of this year, a judge ruled that Little didn't make the right call and he was taken off death row. All right, Eric Hall, uh, 51 years old right now. Eric was arrested in 2003 for R-wording and murdering a flight attendant in the Boise foothills in 2000. He was tried and sentenced to death. And then he was tried in 2007 for the kidnapping R-word and murder of another woman in the same foothills. This murder allegedly occurred in the days leading up to him being arrested for the first murder. So he's been sentenced to death twice. <laughs> Crazy. Whoa. Yeah. His attempted, he's attempted to appeal and was shot the fuck down by the state of Idaho, um, not even granting him the option to enter the second stage of the appeal process. So he's, he's probably going to be executed. Um, Timothy Dunlap. Timothy is 53 years old and been on death row for about 30 years. Timothy has two life sentences, but they aren't both in Idaho. One is for murdering a bank teller with a shotgun during a robbery. That was in Idaho. The second is actually in Ohio for murdering his girlfriend with a crossbow earlier that month in October of 1991. Although he did plead guilty to the Idaho murder, he was still sentenced to death, which is just funny to me. Upon appealing in Idaho, the state affirmed this death sentence, so he will be sentenced to death. Um, his case was a little bit beefier for the Ohio courts, but as it stands right now, Ohio has also denied him of any sort of exoneration from so the death penalty. So what would happen there if Idaho denies it, but Ohio, say he does get appealed in, in Ohio, and it goes through and it's like, okay, it's life. I assume he still has the one from Idaho, so you're still on death row there? So I did look into this. It's a really good question, and it's kind of... So yeah, and it would give him the option to appeal to be moved to Ohio so that he could fulfill his life sentence in Ohio. But because he was caught in Idaho and he was caught murdering someone in Idaho and it was our police forces that caught him, we have a right to him. So it's kind of a gray area, but he could probably push out his death sentence further by appealing again and saying, no, I should be in Ohio. So yeah. yeah. Um, So... Azad Abdullah, he's 45 years old. Azad Abdullah was convicted of first-degree murder, first-degree arson, three counts of attempted first-degree murder, and felony injury to child in 2004. He had murdered his wife by drugging her and tying a bag around her head and set the house on fire with his two children and one of their friends still asleep inside. Luckily, all the children escaped. 
In March of 2015, the Idaho Supreme Court upheld their decision for the death penalty. As recent as 2020, excuse me, as recent as 2020, Azad had again attempted to petition based on evidence of how he was treated during the arrest. But there haven't been any updates. I can't find any updates on this case. Robin Rowe. Robin is Idaho's one and only female death row inmate. Just an FYI, a woman has never been executed in Idaho. On February 10th of 1992, Robin's husband and two children perished in a fire in Ada County. It was quickly discovered that an accelerant had been used and the smoke alarm had been deactivated. During investigations, it was found that her other son had also died in a mysterious fire and she collected the insurance money from it. Um, It was also found that she had recently taken out life insurance policies on her husband and two children, totaling over $250,000. So she was arrested and sentenced to death on December 16, 1993. Her appeal was dismissed in 2011, and she's being held in the Pocatello Women's Correctional Center. Thomas Creech. This is our last one. This one's fucked up. Thomas was convicted of three murders, although he claims to be the culprit of over 40 but detectives can pin him to about seven, and they don't think there's any, like, much more than that. But they aren't sure. Um, the murders in Idaho happened in 1974 when Creech was hitchhiking from Lewiston to Donnelly, which is right by McCall. Um, he murdered the two men who picked him up and buried them along Highway 55 near Cascade. He was sentenced to death for this, which was later converted due to the the federal overthrow of capital punishment back in the 70s, which we kind of talked about. This was converted to life in prison at that time. Um, Well, the idiot fucking warden at the prison he was being held in allowed him special privileges to be doing janitorial work, despite protests from prosecutors. And in 1981, he murdered another inmate in prison, and they put him back on death row for that. Nice. This makes Creech the longest death row inmate in Idaho at a whopping 41 years. His death row process has been the most expensive in Idaho, costing roughly $15 million. And it's caused all sorts of controversy. All the male inmates in death row are being held in the cell block J of the Idaho State Correctional Institution in Boise. I think that's the one out by kind of by Birds of Prey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So here's some cases that have been overturned in Idaho. I feel like this is a good way to... You know, kind of wrap this up. So in 1980, Donald, I screwed up. So in 1980, Donald Paradis was living in Washington when he was arrested for murdering two people in his Spokane home. He was actually acquitted of these charges in Washington. His main defense being that he didn't murder the people, but he did help hide the bodies. He was tried in Idaho because technically he crossed state lines to hide the bodies. It's strange because he was tried for murder in Idaho even though Washington was alleging the murders had occurred in their state. So the entire Idaho case depended on the testimony from the coroner, who was stating that although it's possible that both murders occurred in Washington, he could not say without reasonable doubt that one of the murders did not occur in Idaho. So he was sentenced to death and spent almost 18 years on death row. Come to find out, his lawyer that was appointed to him was an Idaho cop that had never practiced law, never represented anyone, and had every reason to help the prosecutors get this man on death row. He was exonerated in 2001, but he did plead guilty to moving the bodies and was credited for time served and released. Then in 2017, Donald was arrested for five charges, including aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. He pled guilty to the assault charge and was sentenced to three years in prison. However, he was released May 17th of 2019 with a fixed sentence lasting until 2034. 
So as long as he stays out of trouble, he won't go back to prison. Jesus. Yeah. So another notable exoneration, and this one made my blood boil, um, was Charles Fane, who was convicted of murder in 1983 and sentenced to death. Witnesses during the trial actually placed Charles in Oregon at the time of the murders, and Charles gladly provided DNA samples. However, in 1983, DNA testing was arguably terrible, and the FBI, an FBI expert stated that his DNA was a match to those found at the scene. In 2001, the Idaho Innocence Project out of Boise State took his case on. His DNA was again run through a newer testing process, which not only excluded Charles from the scene, but implicated two other suspects. By then, Charles had net spent nearly two decades in prison. He was ultimately awarded $1.4 million and received a certificate of innocence from the state of Idaho, which I think he deserves so much more. That's crazy. Yeah, so I do want to take a minute to talk about why death penalty is making like a subtle exit from Idaho. People haven't really noticed, but Idaho doesn't kill people like they used to. Executions happened about once every two to five years since its first occurrence in 1864. But now we go about 20 years, give or take, without seeing one. Um, and I don't have, like, a super big opinion on, like, what's humane and killing is wrong and whatnot. I'm not here to get political about it. But I do want to speak a little on the part. Uh, excuse me. I do want to speak a little in part to the number one reason the death penalty doesn't make sense. And that is the cost. Okay, so there's quite a few things that cost money during the death penalty case, okay? Uh, legal costs of lawyers, which typically death, death sentence cases, they have two lawyers, right? Um, Pre-trial costs. This means forensic teams, mental health examiners, expert background checks on witnesses, etc. cetera. Uh, jury selection. Jury selection for death penalty cases are way more thorough. Jury, excuse me, way more thorough due to the moral aspect of it all. So it's much more expensive to hire a team to interview the jury to see if they have, like, any bias. Um, the trial. Trials can last up to four times longer than non-capital trials, and they have to pay almost everyone, including the jury. Incarceration. Most death row inmates at some point require solitary confinement in a special facility. So security, accommodations, this is the most expensive part of death row concept, and I'll get to that in, in a second. And then the appeal process. These are just all around expensive as fuck. <laughs> it has happened more than once where an inmate was saved just hours before his execution because evidence proved their innocence. So based on numerous state-led studies, the death penalty imposes a net cost to taxpayers as opposed to life in prison. So the initial appeal in Idaho costs around $75,000, their very first appeal. After this initial appeal, costs jump up to about $275,000 per appeal. Crazy, right? It costs 27, about, give or take, it costs about $27,000 a year to house a regular inmate in Idaho. The general cost of a death row inmate, if they're on death row for 30 years, is just shy of $11 million. Damn. Just for housing them. That's not including appeals. As compared to $810,000 for a life sentence for an inmate. Okay. Rough estimates. And this is all taxpayer money, all right? This isn't just random money. This is our money. So privatized prison, prisons make roughly this amount of money or more per inmate per year, okay? The longer, they, the longer they're held, the inmate, the more money the inmate is worth. I don't know if you guys knew that. So every year that the inmate is in there, the, the more they're worth. Like a sports player. Right, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. It's like fine wine. And guess who owns or does businesses with these prisons? 
politicians and state officials, right? That's why we're stuck in this rut here with prison systems because the only people who can pass laws in favor for prison reform are besties with these prisons, right? So politicians keep things like marijuana and drugs illegal. Judges hand down longer sentences, creating more valuable inmates for the prisons. In turn, the government signs contracts with these prisons, billion-dollar contracts, and this is all taxpayer money. So, side note, there's actually, there's actually a privatized prison in Idaho. It's in CUNA, um, which, by the way, the warden gets paid anywhere between seventy-eight and $180,000 per year, plus an undisclosed bonus Damn. that we don't have rights as Americans to know. Crazy, it's right? Because it's private. Because it's a private prison. And the contracts they sign with the government exclude them. Like, they are excluded. And I'm sure they're pretty fat. If he's getting paid 100 and whatever you <laughs> yeah. said a year, I'm sure the bonus is there pretty is, nice. Yeah. I, I'm sure that guy is sitting pretty. Sitting pretty. So, anyway, I really don't have an opinion on the matter of the death penalty from, like, a moral standpoint. Because what these people did was awful. And the cases against them are pretty strong. And I'm not trying to make it about, like, morality here. But if I had to look at it fiscally and through my life as a hardworking, taxpaying American citizen, it's a fucking scam. Yeah. Death row makes no sense. Executions make no sense. And I will die on that hill. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Idaho's more wild than you think. Yeah, it's proof right there. Yeah. And it's so, e- I mean, it's so easy to research these things. You know, it's so easy to throw around the term, like, go do your own research. But, like, you literally can. Like, this yeah. is all, I found all this information on Google. Like, I don't have any special information or insiders or anything like that. Like, that is all available to the public that we are paying for someone to spend 30 years on death row, $11 million, for them just to not die anyway, you know? Like I said, out of 40 people who have been sentenced to death, only three of them got executed. So why are we wasting all of this money on keeping them on death row? doesn't make sense. I could afford gas if that wasn't being paid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So why do you think, like, how do the, I guess, like, the politicians who are fighting to, like, keep that, like, going on? What, how do they benefit from that? Um, I think that a big part of it would be that these privatized prisons probably keep them in office, partially. Um, do I have proof of that? No. <laughs> but I, like, it, it's not a coincidence in my head. And I'm not like a super big conspiracy theorist, you know? Like, I love debunking them. But you can put two and two together. But I, yeah, and like, don't get me started on fucking politicians, especially Idaho politicians. Like, come that on. That math adds up. Yeah, that math is mathin', for sure. Like, I... I just don't, it doesn't make sense to me that, like, all, like, we're, we're spending all of this money for no reason. It's going somewhere, right? Someone is putting this money in their pocket, and it's not the taxpayers. It's not us who are, like, hardworking American citizens. It doesn't go to us, yeah. you know? There's no reason why. <sighs> it's just strange. And, like, the, the only reason there's not reform is because these politicians aren't pushing for it. Well, why wouldn't the politicians be pushing for it? It's because someone's putting something in their pocket They're or putting something, somehow, yeah, yeah, somehow. This is Taylor's little ti- oldest time, you know? People yeah. never change. It's all been written before, so. It's crazy. Um, super random, but do you know if it's actually true that in Japan, if you're on death row, they don't tell you your execution date, so you wake up every day not knowing if that's, like, your last day? Damn, that's fucked up. Yeah. I didn't know that. I've, like, read that, like, on, like, like TikTok and stuff, so hmm. I don't know how if it's true or not, but. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd never heard that before. Yeah, that'd be such a mind fuck, though. Yeah. I w- that would, like, fuck you up. Well, I mean, for life, that would fuck yeah. you up. But, like, yeah, oof. That's tough. You got to make peace with yourself real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't know which would be worse, knowing, like, okay, like four months, yeah, yeah, that's the day, or just, like, wait. Right, take me away. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's that's, that's crazy. I mean, neither is a good option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't plan on getting on death row anytime soon, so. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah. Um, should we do the card game? No, I think I think we can go without it this time. Yeah. We'll we'll skip that. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we'll jump into the wrap up. Um, plug your account, whatever you got going on. Yeah, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find us on TikTok. It's um, Idaho Crime Squad at Idaho Crime Squad. Find us at uh, Instagram, same same username at Idaho Crime Squad. If you want to send us an email, it's Idaho Crime Squad at gmail We take case requests. We do respond to every email, every single email we've gotten. We've responded to. So hit us up, watch us, look out for us. You know, tag us and things on TikTok. We love interacting with our people, um, and make sure you follow us so you guys can stay up to date. Heck yeah! All right, and then you that was uh, you got the Death Row Inmate series coming this fall yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna do deep dives on every single person on death row um and you know they'll kind of have to listen to this to get my opinion on all of it i'm gonna try to keep it very unbiased um but yeah so i'll do a deep dive once a week starting in september leading up to halloween so spooky and then, season yeah and then i've got something special planned for halloween so. heck yeah right on um, well, thanks so much for coming on. That was yeah. a lot of fun. I learned yeah, this was a lot a of shit about yeah. Idaho, <laughs> and our prison system, and the horror stories. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's seriously, you know, it's been an honor. It's fun to be behind the mic. So yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully, you open up, reopen a case, and we can have you back on. I know, yeah. and go deep dive deep. That'll in be that case. that'll be the rule. Once I get one open, I, I get to come back on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ballin, watch out because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got competition. Um, yeah, so thanks for watching. Make sure to like and subscribe and to share this podcast. Follow well, us on Instagram at You Never Know Podcast. Till next time, you never know. Thank you for watching this episode of the You Never Know Podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe and check out our other episodes on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Also, give us a follow, You Never Know Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. You never know.